Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations, bringing you helpful strategies and practical resources to help you invest on and off the farm. If you find value today, don't hesitate to leave us an honest review and share the episode. Yes, this helps us, but more importantly, it could help someone else along their journey. Now, let's dive in without further ado. One takeaway you could probably take is go to your whomever you sell your crop to, your processor, your packer, your hauler, and ask them what their marketing strategy is. How are you opening up new markets? What markets are you targeted? What's the story? How am I being marketed? If I make these investments on my farm, do you have the traceability metrics to be able to leverage that when you're selling my crop? If you've taken, if I'm keeping, am I keeping title? Are they taking title to the crop? Like those are all like, those are very tangible questions that every single person who sells, um, that grows and sells a crop can ask. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations. Today, we are joined by Allie Cox, an Olympic silver medalist in rowing, founder of the innovative agri-marketing firm Noble West, and a passionate fifth-generation farmer. Allie Cox, welcome to the show. Hey, Casey. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Allie, got to know, why did you start up Noble West? Because I couldn't not start Noble West is, I think, probably the better, the, the best answer I could give. We, um, you know, as a fifth generation farmer and um, a farmer's wife and somebody who manages their own farm credit loans for our family farm, um, I just see a real opportunity to marry my 20 years of marketing experience with my deep passion for agriculture and for really food and helping consumers understand more about their food. To me, agriculture is a function of food marketing. Um, it's a function of the food industry. And all too often, I think that might be forgotten. And so we we really focus on helping farmers understand more about their consumers and for consumers, hopefully to understand more about where their food comes from through really great brand, through really great brand marketing. So um, this is my 17th year of owning a marketing agency and we just rebranded to Noble West in March. So Noble West is sort of like a new outfit, but it's sort of the same, okay. the same on the insides from a passion point of view. Just a little face uplift. No, more than that. I think that we've elevated. Mm. It is um, an elevation. It's a point of view of clarity around what we want to do. Um, my former agency mm. name was called ACNC Marketing, which started as Allie Cox and Company. And we've completely outgrown that brand. And really, our team is so strong that. Um, it was really about kind of finding a name that made most sense for kind of the, the work that we do and the depth of the work that we do. And we landed on Noble West and I couldn't be, couldn't be happier or prouder of the team. Okay. That sounds great. So why Noble West? What does that mean to you? Noble West is, well, there is a Latin translation for Allison is Noble. So that there's, there is that, but, um, for me, it's like, when I thought about like, who are our clients, many of our clients are sort of the ambitious go-getter, um, I don't want to say rogue, but very determined farmers who want more for themselves, for their crop, for their processing plant. They want to have their story told differently. Most of these farmers have done the hard work to invest in, 
um, maybe more modern ways of farming and more modern ways to kind of tell their story. And they are, they are cowboys and cowgirls. That is like the best. So when I was sort of thinking who are our clients, it's really people with like, we always say noble hearts and westward thinking. And that to me is sort of that ambitious thinking. Like why does, why do people go West? Now, I say that we are not just doing, you know, Western United States marketing. We have international clients. We do an extraordinary amount of international marketing and have um, joined an agency that even support those initiatives. So really that, that noble, that noble West is it's, it's taking on a life of its own and it's kind of continuing to pick up speed and also just determination with every day. And again, that's very similar to who, to, to our clients and also to your listeners, Casey, like I understand that you've got a lot of farmers and you have folks that are interested in um, ambitiously driving revenue for their, for their farms in a very quickly evolving manner. And that's something that is very noble. And um, so I think there's some real alignment there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what I've picked, there's a lot there. What I picked from it was westward but i think of it as more forward looking mm-hmm. you know i think farmers today really have to have an eye towards the future they always have like it, it's an ingrained in our dna to from crop rotations to you name it it it's in our da- dna to plan for the next 3 to 5 years out so forward looking and adjusting your business model to do that and what you do at noble west helps farmers at a lot of different levels of stages of their farm get to where they're going. Can you give us a little bit more meat on what exactly Noble West does? Sure. We support our clients with their brand marketing initiatives. So we do a lot of mark, like we help develop brands, naming, naming um, and identity work, um, Marcom's planning, website development, media planning. We manage media buys for quite a few of our clients, um, social media. And we have a team where we have four departments within our agency. We're a 25 person agency and we have a media and content department, a creative department, business operations, and then client services and strategy. And we work very holistically together. We even have a process called it. It's called the hybrid process. And that's something that um, when thinking about our clients, again, many of whom are farmers or at least have some sort of soil born um, origination story or purpose, um, it's really about being efficient, about being lean and about having great teamwork, which is something that I think that probably most of your listeners can align with. And I certainly know that's how it is on our family farm. Without a team, harvest wouldn't happen. Um, And without a lot of personal determination and um, it just wouldn't be possible to kind of to, to do the work every day. And when I, when I set out to, you know, I think leaning on that rope, like we talked about the Olympian in me, Um, I am a retired rower and I sat right in the middle of a, of the women's eight, the largest boat that races at the Olympics. And it is about teamwork. It's about, it's about the sum of the parts. And that's what I think is a marketing agency. And that certainly is what a, what a farm is, especially a thriving farm. Absolutely. It's definitely a team sport. Same with real estate, same with what you do, definitely with farming. So you touched on brand marketing is one of the the pillars of Noble West. Can you give us some insight into what is brand marketing? I think we have this general sense of what what brand is, but really, like, why is 
a brand so important and how can farmers really leverage this as a tool in their tool belt? Okay, well, now is when this conversation might get a little controversial, and I'm here for it. (laughs) So, So brand marketing, a lot of our clients come to us and they say, hey, I've got a mill, or I've got a processing plant, or I'm a packing house, and we are... We're growing a lot of our own food, or we and we have contract growers. We have a whole grower relations team. It's commingled, and we are selling the majority of our crop under you know whatever the USDA specification is, or whatever their association specification is, and we are selling it um, as a commodity, as a commingled commodity. And by definition, commodity commodity means the same. So that's where. Your farmer, your grower, is a price taker. Whatever the pri- whatever they say the price of the day is, is what you get. Regardless of the inputs that it takes to, to grow it, regardless of your investments, regardless of like whatever best, you know, um, best practices farming you're using. And that is where a lot of our customers and clients call us to be like, we should just have more. We should be having more of this in our pocket. How come this price is so terrible? Like I think right now, like the big, I mean, the almond industry right now is in the toilet. It is absolutely killing our economy here locally in the Central Valley. And the price is awful. It costs more to grow almonds than it does that you'll make. And it has been like- margin. For the last two years, for this year, probably next year, hopefully we'll get out of it within once we get through kind of this backlog of product. So clients call us and they say, hey, how can we do that? And we say, okay, you're going to have to invest in the brand. If you want to have more leverage, if you want to be the price setter, not the price taker, if you want your consumers to understand kind of more about what it took to grow that food as a hero ingredient, so you basically need to give them information. You got to tell that story. Make no assumptions. And that's where the controversialness comes in because that farmers also be like, but I'm paying an assessment to my association. Aren't they supposed to do that? Oh, yes and no. Uh Yes and no. They're also, that association isn't allowed to market a specific brand. They're marketing a commodity. They're trying yep. to set, they're trying to support the commodity in the whole entire crop movement. So that's where we support a lot of our clients who say, you know what, screw it. Like, I got to go for it. Like, I don't know. They're like, this is going to be more of the same. What do I have to do to create a brand? And then we kind of go and support them with that initiative. It can be risky. It can be expensive. It can be a whole lot of things. There's risk of cannibalization with your retail partners. Like there's a lot there. Um, but that's where like really, really sophisticated marketing can come into play. And where people say, you know what? I, this consumer deserves this information. And quite frankly, I deserve more money. So I'm going to double down. I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to be vulnerable with my story. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to invite people into the ranch, which by the way, most farmers are like, oh God, please don't bring a camera. I don't want to have to, I don't want, you know, they're humble folk typically are farmers because they don't want to be out selling, right? They're not real estate agents for a reason. And that's where, um, that's where we come in and really can help them. And I think I think we just have a leg up a little bit, Casey. It's a little bit of an unfair advantage versus some of our competitors because I am a fifth generation farmer. Like I said, I've got my own, I've got my own sort of 
my own farm credit loans. We've got my way of investments. We have equipment. And that's where I think a lot of our customers are like, well, I know Allie really cares about this. She would never do anything to jeopardize this. So I can trust her. And that's something that we're utilizing. And I think our clients are taking advantage of. And it's a, it's, it requires really great partnership. And that's a place where most you know, most farmers don't have partnership with a marketing person or a PR person. And I don't know if it's necessarily the farmer's job. I think a lot of the times it's the packer's job. It's for whomever, you know, it's the hauler, it's the packer, it's the processor. And that is the majority of our clients, quite frankly. Okay, fair enough. What is a hero ingredient? A hero ingredient is a food or a beverage that has one main ingredient. So, for example, if you look at a charcuterie platter, you're going to have salami, you're going to have grapes, you're going to have nuts, you're going to have cheese. All of those products have one hero ingredient. If it's cheese, it's dairy. If it's grapes, it's grapes, obviously. You know, that's where, um, that's, that's your hero ingredient. So this probably wouldn't take place, like we probably wouldn't think of a hero ingredient for like a granola bar, unless maybe it's like a kind bar. Um, so like that's that and that's really if you've got a hero ingredient, how that food is grown and processed and stored and shipped is part of it's it's the key part of the story. Like we like to say that's a soil born story, and that is something that Noble West is all about. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So putting a lot of the juice behind the main ingredient because it makes the most sense, people can connect with it better. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are your thoughts of the qualitative aspects of brand marketing and why can you help us wrap our heads around why having a brand is so important important connecting the hero ingredients to the consumer? Well, and again, I want to say having a brand isn't for everybody. Like for example, that's not for my family farm. That's they're not the right size to do it. So, I think it I want to just qualify. It's not for everybody. Okay. I don't think everybody listening should go out and slap a logo on a bag and try to sell it. That's that's not the point. You got to have some serious capital and long-term vision. It's also not a last-minute deal. That should never be your last-minute option. Um, but why should some 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 companies do it? Why should some farmers do it if they've got economies of scale? If they can um, see the long-term benefit of it? If they're willing to be creative and think outside of the box and take help, because you're going to have to do that. I think the biggest, the biggest misses that I see on a regular basis are B2B brands who then say, okay, I'm just going to open an e-commerce link on our dodgy website, website, and we're going to start selling it. And it's like, oh my God, it's so ugly. Like, I don't know, like, unless you're selling to friends and family, it doesn't actually necessarily matter how unbelievable your product is because it's never actually going to reach anybody who's going to pay for something to be shipped. Um, so that's where I think it takes them long-term vision and it takes some capital. And, what but, kind of capital are we talking about? Well, that's the name of the podcast, isn't it? Um, I mean, I don't think that, I would never recommend that a company go out and start create a brand on their own. If they have less than $500,000 that they're willing to invest. That's like one, one example. 
And I mean, make that investment over probably a year, year, year to year and a half. Mm-hmm. And that, doesn't, that doesn't count the, that. And that makes the assumption that you own your supply. You also got to be ready to find co-packers and obviously branding and marketing and understanding your consumer insight um, report and understanding kind of target audiences. So again, that's where not making assumptions. And I think really farmers need to understand this is probably one of the hardest lessons for a lot of our clients. And the quicker they wrap their arms around it, the better. Their target audience is not them. It's not their wife. It's not their husband. It's not their cousin. It is people they don't know in cities that don't have access to go to the farmer's market to buy it locally. Mm -hmm. And that's where sort of, that can be a hard, that's a hard lesson, but the quicker our clients wrap their arms around it, the better. Mm -hmm. How do you help them do that? Lots of partnership, lots of trust. Yeah. Talking about it. There's also consumer insights. There's reports. There's, um, there's different kind of metrics that we'll that we'll go through. And a lot of our clients say, okay, we need to find some white, you know, white space. What's not being done already? Or being done just not as good. Do it better. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And 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 reaching the audience, right? Like if you're so we're in Central California here. If I'm selling a bag of almonds in Modesto or Stockton or Turlock, California, that price of that almond, the value of that bag of almond is clearly a lot different than somebody who is looking for fresh crop almonds in New York City. Right? But how is that farmer going to, how are they going to reach that customer in New York City who doesn't know anything about fresh crop, doesn't know anything about, you know, they don't have the access to that maybe that knowledge. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I went out on my own and started my own agency. It's like, I cannot believe I lived in New York for 10 years. cannot believe how people valued food. They, they loved food. Restaurant culture is it's a five day a week culture at least. And yet we don't know anything about where our food comes from. It really, is wild to me. There's really, a very big disconnect going on. Totally. It's the problem with the entire food industry, that and the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Where shall we go next? I mean, that that's that's the part. But I think that a takeaway for, for maybe some of your listeners who are farmers who are like, okay, I don't have the money to start a brand. I don't want to start a brand. My daughter's not a marketer. My son's not a marketer. Like, whatever. I think one, one takeaway you could probably take is go to your, whomever you sell your crop to, your processor, your packer, your hauler, and ask them what their marketing strategy is. How are you opening up new markets? What markets are you targeted? What's the story? How am I being marketed? If I make these investments on my farm, do you have the traceability metrics to be able to leverage that when you're selling my crop? If you've taken, if I'm keeping, am I keeping title? Are they taking title to the crop? Like those are all like, those are very tangible questions that every single person who sells, um, that grows and sells a crop can ask. And that's, I think that if you, when you asked a couple of the competitors down the road, it'd be probably pretty interesting who, who is actually investing in it. And I'll, I'll say this, a lot of, we do work with a lot, some, you know, competitors within industries. They're not telling, they're not telling all the playbooks. They're not telling all the plays. So what might be on the outside, people might assume that everybody does the same thing. Assumptions Mm -hmm. are 
but assumptions are super dangerous here. But it's not necessarily the case because we're getting the calls and we're doing we're doing the work across that. And we know who's actually spending the money and investing and giving their customers the information they want. Giving the retail partner the cost, the information they want so that they have more ammo so they can help move the crop with you. And then they understand that they've got a partner in advertising and pushing product off the shelves. Seems like transparency is a very big issue from in multiple different viewpoints. When you think about the packers to the farmers to the consumers so these pointed questions that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. are they something that farmers should be asking on a regular basis? Is it quarterly meetings? Like, what do you recommend as far as increasing this level of transparency? Well, I think that but all of the above, Casey, everything you just mentioned. I mean, a lot of our, our clients do, um, you know, we're doing their quarterly grower newsletters. We're doing their internal communications. We're helping them tell the actual story. What do growers like to hear? They like to hear more about what the sales conversations are. Where's their crop going? How much are they getting for it? What are they looking for? You know, proactively hearing that information, not reactively hearing the information being like, hey, our clients want more sustainability. What can you do for sustainability? And then the farmer's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to make how much? What am I supposed to do different? Like, what investment do I have to make now? Like, mm-hmm. what? You know, that's where sort of like the proactive communication, like so that you can understand more of what the market is looking for and you're less kind of like last to know, right? That's number one. So I think that, again, but that's when you have to find your packer that makes sense for you and your processor that makes sense for you. Like, who do you like kind of that community? Who are you pushing? Now, the second is, I think, asking the hard questions, leaning on your grower rep and asking for those questions and asking to know what the marketing department's doing and asking to know how they're kind of staying relevant and doing best practices in it. So um, I think it's all of the above. Yeah, it is. Is that something that your that Noble West helps figure out for your customers is asking those hard questions is keeping that transparency up to the level that you expect? Yeah, supporting our customer. And again, our customers, like a lot of times they're like they're experts at milling rice and like, you know, processing almonds and processing cherries and processing tomatoes. And they're not growing hydroponic herbs like they're not necessarily like communicators like that's not their that's not the number one reason they exist right but that's where we can support with um you know content planning sessions with copywriting newsletters with interviewing stakeholders um and then we can go ghost write it get get the approval and actually manage sending out the communication. That's where a lot of our clients lean on us because um, you know, content generation is the last thing to go if it's on your newsletter, if it's on the your to-do list. If it's between that and running payroll, guess what you're doing first? So that's where a lot of our clients and I always say, whatever's last on your list is first on our list. I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that support is really necessary, especially when you think about like farmers want to be out in the field working with their people, working with the land. Very few of them want to go in and start typing on the computer. So offsetting some of these or offloading, I should say, some of these skills 
and techniques for building a brand is is a smart move if you do have the capital it can be a nice tool in your toolkit so Ali, can you walk us through how like a test case an example a story that you can use to kind of put this a vivid picture in our mind about what noble west does and how you took someone from a to z sure uh, I think a great example would be one of our rice clients so that we've been working with for 10 years. They um, grow, mill, and ship short grain rice in Northern California, which is in, Sac- in the Sacramento Valley is where most of the short grain rice is grown. And um, at the time when we started working with them, they're primarily... Um, they had quite a few house brands. So there was, I think, 10 or 15 brands. They had different labels. And we were we supported them with really helping them understand more about how we can find value in their in their customer relationships, providing content, providing information. Um, we developed a brand that was targeted towards a domestic Asian um, buyer customer. So primarily a brand that's primarily sold in Asian markets throughout um, Canada, Hawaii, United States. Um, and then also, then a couple of years later, developed a brand to um, to reach the, that was primarily targeted towards a domestic Caucasian market, which again is not typically your biggest rice you know, it's not, it's not ethnically, it's something that we don't eat every single day, every meal, unlike a lot of, um, mm-hmm. a lot of other cultures. So we developed yep. a brand and, and built out the branding, the messaging, the marketing, um, manage their Amazon store, their e-commerce strategy, their paid media budget, their PR, and kind of manage that whole thing. So they, our clients utilize us as an outsourced marketing department most of the time. So I would say, of the time we are working with kind of regional experts um, and medium-sized businesses that are doing, have decided, you know, we don't want to hire a VP of marketing, a video director, a strategist, a creative director, a graphic designer, a social media person. We're going to use a fraction of Noble S time. And Allie, you're kind of the de facto VP of marketing. And for a fraction of your time, that's that's a very, very similar um, approach that a lot of our clients use. Again, they mm-hmm. don't want to be doing this. They didn't get into business because they wanted to be doing marketing. They wanted to you know, process tomatoes and like do and like kind of do more of that. So we support a lot of the sales teams with sort of sales initiatives and then really um, just creating more value around the food. So Noble West has become a very mission based business, which wasn't necessarily my intention when I founded ACNC and now Noble West, but it's definitely become that because I just think that this is the way that we are going to untangle the food system untangle it through transparency transparency and just giving consumers more accurate information supporting journalists with content so that they actually can write something that is going to be potentially advantageous for everybody there's there's just a lot more to be told there i think that i think ag right now is the target of a lot of climate change accusations which by the way, isn't necessarily incorrect, but maybe if we talked about the kind of the solutions that we, the progress we are making, we can just have a seat at that table and be part of the constructive narrative and not necessarily the recipient. And 
I mean, I just think that most farmers would rather kind of anonymously toil away at their ranches and do things on their own versus tell a story, which is why we exist. It is, is to support, um, is to support that. Telling your story is very important nowadays. And I think too many people get hung up and this happens. I see this across multiple industries. There's, they focus too much on the product. Mm. not on the story that is the end result. Essentially, a product just solves pain points for their mm. customers. But the mm. the story is what sticks in people's minds. Mm. Stories yeah. are, they can see themselves. And yeah. so when you, you're building a story behind your company around your products, it's pivotal. I mean, you mentioned hero ingredients. But when you're telling these stories, it's important for folks out there to understand that it's not your product is not the hero in this story. Mm. The The ingredients are almost, I see them more as the guide or the companies are the guide, the the mentor, if you will, mm. within the story. Like, mm. So the consumer, they have pain points. Everyone has pain points. And so you mentioned a lot of times that farmers have a difficult perspective or have a difficult time getting in the heads of their end consumers. And that is very true. Everyone has a difficult time time doing that, especially when you're talking about pain points and, and what these solutions actually solve. But the only way to do that is through stories. And that is by far the clearest and most definitive way to enhance the education. So I fully agree with you that, you know, providing this education to raise the bar and increase this level of transparency is needed in the food industry is it it's very important right now. And I think customers want it, want it, consumers want it, um, and they have a right to to know about it, I think as well. And more people are hungry for it. Yeah. But I think that it's important, and this is where I think farmers have gotten it wrong for a long time, is that consumers don't buy food because they care about the farming lifestyle. Like, if that's what you're promoting, I think it's part of the problem, right? Like, if I'm buying fruit, vegetables, nuts, meat, whatever, and I live in an urban environment, I'm not buying it because I want you to be able to have the same lifestyle and be able to live on the open prairie. I'm buying it because this product is going to be nutritious for my family and me because it's the right price and you've delivered it to me in a way that is like of a high quality. That's the story. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's it. That's why that's the kind of food I buy in the grocery store that you buy in the grocery store. And that's where I want to make sure that farmers have the tools to that, like the tools so that their output is marketed properly. Now, I don't know if that means they market it themselves. I doubt it. But again, I think that's where there's just a real disconnect between the processor and the marketing. And that's where I think there's a huge disconnect between ag marketing and food marketing. Back to my whole first point, ag marketing is a function of food marketing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like the way you put that. Allie, this has been a pleasure having you on. We talked about a lot. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with today as we think about expanding capital, all sorts of capital, human, intellectual, financial capital? You know, how do you recommend 
farmers expand their capital? Hmm. It's tough. I think that, I think just the first is coming to the realization that what got us here is not going to get us there. So, you know, that's a lot of what we have to think about. What worked for my grandfather, for my great-grandfather and grandmother is not necessarily what's going to help get our family farm progressing into the future. And that is something that I think there's a lot of creativity needed. And But really, there's a mindset, a mind sh- a mindset shift. And that's probably the first. And I think just being open to having hard conversations about things that are a little uncomfortable. For example, really pushing your processor to understand more about their marketing. Who is doing the sales? How are they doing it? How are you representing me out in the market? That's a place where no assumptions can be made. And quite frankly, I think that the millennials and and Gen Zs get a they kind of get a bad rap sometimes because for being, you know, being difficult or whatnot. But quite frankly, the amount of research and due diligence and judiciousness that that generation does behind the scenes online on their own is really impressive. And I think there's some lessons to be learned there. That's part of why, like actually double downing and understanding your why and marketing it is so important and finding the partners who you align with. I think that's probably where kind of this whole like internet age is probably helpful to the industry. That's great. What you did yesterday is not going to get you to where you need to go tomorrow. Yeah, 100%. It's scary. It's super scary because we all have equipment. We all own, we have, everybody has loan. Like it is, it's super scary, but it's also part of innovation and where we need to innovate just like every other industry. Mm hmm. Couldn't agree more. Allie Cox, everyone. Allie, where can people get a hold of you? Well, Noble West. So we are noblewest.com or we are Noble West on Instagram is probably the best place to find us. Awesome. Put in the show notes as well. Allie, thanks for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Casey. Absolutely. Tall listeners. Please share if you enjoyed, found some value in this episode, and we look forward to publishing another one next week. See ya.